Hello friends, how's it going? My name is Matt Bart and you listen to the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast, the show where I try and uncover the most interesting stories in action sports and other related endeavours. Big thanks for listening to this one and I hope you enjoy it. So as you'll know, if you've been following me on Instagram, where you can find me at We Look Sideways and have miraculously yet to unfollow me, uh, I'm in Jackson for the first leg of this year's Natural Selection Tour with Owen Tozer. Yeah, it's the first pod omnibus of the COVID era. As well as working at the event, we've been taking the opportunity to record as many episodes as possible with people here from the wider snowboarding community and from the natural selection team. Um, And that continues with this conversation with event judge Sandy McDonald. Now, one of the things I've been trying to do while out here is to throw some light onto some of the more, you could say, opaque aspects of the natural selection experience. Um, And in that light, a chat with one of the judges seemed to be pretty essential, really. Because, and let's speak frankly here, one of the main criticisms of the event, both this year and last, has been the judging. I mean, I noticed it below the line last year. Had a few observations about it myself at the time, which I did talk to Sandy about. Um, And being here, I kind of also noticed that there was a little bit of confusion among the riders about how they were being judged and what criteria was being used. And obviously, after the events happened then there's been quite a lot of feedback and criticism. So I kind of made it a bit of a mission to try and understand it more myself. Um, And I chatted to Sandy, who is one of the three judges, um, one night at the pre-finals rider meeting. Um, And I kind of asked him a lot of questions that I had about the judging. He's a total legend, so he was really happy to answer them. And that conversation was so illuminating that I thought, well, I might as well sit down with him for a proper chat about the whole thing for an episode of the podcast. Um, Because that's one of the things I've been really trying to do, like I say, kind of just help people understand like what's going on here and how these decisions are being made. So that's what we did. And this is a really revealing insight, I hope anyway, into the whole process of how this event is being judged, really. Um, One of the things I've really noticed while being out here in Jackson is how completely dedicated the entire natural selection community is. Travis and Liam, Cersei and, and Carter really have gathered together the most talented, dedicated and professional group of people in the game to work on this thing. They're all driven primarily by a total love of snowboarding and by, you know, they've bought into this vision of what competitive snowboarding could be. And Sandy's no exception. I mean, he's literally dedicated his entire life to the cause and is as knowledgeable and passionate as anybody I've ever met in this game. Uh, That said, I did approach this, this one by coming at it from the perspective of a journalist. Wow, can you imagine that? And also a fan, you know, and try to think about the questions that I personally want answered as a fan, as well as somebody who's on the selection committee and who has been part of the announcing team. And I also wanted to address many of the direct criticisms I've seen doing the rounds in the aftermath of the event. So that's what I did. Huge thanks to Sandy for being such a good sport and for tackling each of these questions um, with total accountability and transparency. I learned a lot about the whole thing and I hope you do too. I'll be back at the end, but in the meantime, here's me and Sandy. Enjoy. My sled laps in Powder Cowboy. Yeah, tell me about the sled laps that you're going to go and do after this. Let's start with that because I'm off to England (laughs) and you just said, I'm going to, you know, roll the sled up and go and do some sled laps. So yeah. tell me about that, because that sounds like a way better plan than I've got. Yeah, the nice thing about being in Alberta is we're, a bit closer. We, we've got to access to Crown Land. Yeah. So we can just kind of go where we want to go, which is really nice. And there's an abandoned uh, cat skiing operation that we just kind of cruise around on and right. and just take the whole family up. My buddy's got a 10-year-old, that, a 10-year-old, a 14-year-old, and an 18-year-old, and we just all roll up as a family. And Wow. Yeah, it's That super sounds fun. epic. So how big is that area? Oh, it's a huge tenure. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's massive. We've, we've probably explored maybe 5% of it. So. Right. Yeah. So, and then you, you don't know when you're going to go to Baldface. That's what you were saying. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to Baldface. I just don't know when I'm going to Baldface yeah. at this point. My brother lives in Nelson, so we might hang, hang out for a little bit beforehand and right. just cruise Whitewater because that place is amazing. Yeah. So let's talk about it. Um, in the riders' meeting, you said day one was the hardest event you've ever judged, I think. Is that, yep. is that a fair comment? 100%. Yeah, so t- tell me, I mean, obviously, we were announcing, 
everyone could see it everyone could see the conditions but from your perspective that was kind of fascinating because you're so experienced you've done so much judging over the years you've done so many comps so many different formats and that was the hardest one you've ever you've ever done so talk me through it like why was it so challenging for you guys well first off when when you're judging uh let's say slope style yeah at this level these guys have ridden the course for probably two maybe even three days beforehand yeah they've got everything dialed and the difference between like a hand touch and a butt check is the difference between first and tenth yeah um we don't have the luxury of doing that here. We don't get to watch these guys ride the course at all. So the tone kind of gets set by the first rider down the course. Yeah. And here we had a preconceived notion from last year about what we were going to see. We watched Dustin drop in for the first time and he set a really, a really awesome tone for the contest, yeah. but it became immediately apparent that the course was about, oh, thousand times faster than it was last year yeah and that and that mixed with the conditions really made it challenging for the riders to actually bleed speed yeah. where last year they were looking for it yeah i kept talking about that the whole time the speed the, the their ability to control that speed and adjust to that speed i think as a layman you know just as a, someone who's into snowboarding seemed to me to be one of the most impressive things on display at this event really oh it, it was incredible but for us as judges, it was really tough because we started to see people have what we call instabilities, just controlling speed. And we had to figure out whether those instabilities were consequential to the run or whether or not it was just trying to survive. Yeah. So, um, so it sounds like this an obvious thing to say, but it sounds like this event is very new for you as well. Because the theme of interviewing the riders has been um we're getting used to this you know like we're only now becoming used to what the whole what this actually is you know like last year obviously we had one set of conditions and i think everybody kind of thought like that's what it was going to be like every time and as you said like that's where the bar's set that's what you're kind of looking at that's what you think you're gonna you're gonna kind of compare it to but obviously it's completely different um and i think there's an assumption as judges that perhaps you have all the answers do you know what i mean that you've got this like kind of like master plan of like how this is going to unfold but it sounds like you guys are also adjusting to this new format and this new approach to competitive snowboarding oh absolutely 100 percent um this style of event has never existed before uh, ultra natural and supernatural obviously yeah. but the judging criteria that we're using evolves even between stops because this this venue is very freestyly. Uh, Boldface last year was more backcountry. So we were actually judging more how you got in between the features yeah. and things like that. And then Alaska is actually even is a different beast altogether because the, the freestyle stuff's almost a bonus in between the survival of getting from top to bottom. Yeah. So our criteria actually evol is evolving in between, well, obviously years and events. Yeah. So it's really difficult for us to to manage that in our heads again seeing no practice yes so it's really difficult for us so if we take it back to before last year could you talk me through like how you got involved and how involved you were with the the setting of the criteria by which this whole thing is being judged sure um if you want to go way back liam and i have uh known each other for 15 years we've been working together on the we met working together on the global open series yeah uh, i was a judge at that point and i became the the head judge of the global open series for a number of years I was the head judge at the U, uh, the u.s open for almost a decade but um when liam approached me to start working on uh, my first one was actually ultra yeah. i was sort of the assistant head judge at that one uh working with a different judge panel but when this beast showed up Liam asked me, he was like, well, how do we want to, how do we want to do this? Uh, we sat down with, uh, Travis and, and the judges and a couple of the riders and started talking about what, what makes this event different than so like clean, regular slopes, clean slate, like no, obviously using your experience to kind of think about what you're going to factor in, but it was literally like, we're going to start from scratch here. Yeah, I mean, within the, within the judging community or within snowboarding itself, we uh, 
there's some there's some set criteria that just never change. Okay, like amplitude. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, go into it because oh, I think sure. it's really interesting for people. You know, like, and I don't think we should assume that this is things that people that the the people watching the event actually understand. You know, like because I, I, you know, I I have an understanding of it um, as somebody that that's been around the game for a while, but. I think it is interesting. So what what are those criteria that, that, that are the kind of like follow-throughs, if you like, from other judging formats? Well, there's basically, um, first and foremost, there's execution. How, does it, how do you execute a trick? That includes style, things like length of grab. Yeah. Those are just, those are things that just carry through. The building blocks yeah, that we all recognize, blocks. yeah. And then, uh, so we have trick difficulty gets a little more nuanced at that point because some people say, oh, well, frontside spinning is harder than backside spinning. But there is physics involved. Yeah. Like there is the N plus one, the plus one on a rotation, one plus 180 kind of always makes tricks more difficult. Yeah. As a general rule, there's obviously exceptions to every rule. Yeah. But uh, there's um, variety is the other one, another one we use that's a big one. Which yeah, is, and that's in run, right? Yep, in run. We yeah. we don't we don't currently like uh, we chatted about this earlier. We don't have any rules based on uh, run per run doing yeah. the same thing over and over again. Yeah, you're not judging variety of run, are you? No. You're judging variety <laughs> in run. I think this is like we we'll, we'll come back to that because I feel like this is a critical point and it's something that I did talk about quite a lot on the broadcast because I think a lot of the commentary that people are discussing the judging and the event is is around that point i kind of think and a misunderstanding about the fact that there's no criteria for that so let's park that for later on okay because i think that's a separate thing we should discuss but okay so you've got all these different criterias criteria even um that you're factoring in from different formats um so you guys have all sat down and you've kind of gone like so it's you travis and a couple of riders so which riders were involved I honestly can't remember at this point. It was last year beforehand. Right. But you're but you're looking at it and you're like reaching an agreement about like what would be a fair and progressive way of judging this new format. Yeah, we, I mean w- what we looked at was this is a different this is a different beast than slope style. Yeah. And we had to come to not a not a consensus but at least a an understanding of one of the biggest things that I th- I actually think people don't understand about this is we don't want people to lay up. And what the, I mean by that is because of the head-to-head format, if you see the rider in front of you maybe have some instabilities within their run, yeah, some riders will play strategically and say, oh, well, I'll just dial it back. I'll dial it back. Yeah, which I think, again, I'll get to. I think we could see that this event for sure. Yeah. yeah and quite, probably like one noteworthy example of that yeah and and one of the things that travis really wanted to push within this event is let's not dial it back let's maybe uh you know a hand drag or a butt check on a way harder trick that's an inconsequential to the run yeah so that's why sometimes the guys trying like charging way harder yeah that may have some instabilities in their run would be above somebody who so, so this is why, for example, Mickle scored higher than Blake in in this run, because because if you think because like Blake's final run, I think it was all threes maybe. I think he'd done sevens earlier in the event, right? But it was all threes, and Correct. it was obviously like completely amazingly well executed. His line, you know, the way he followed his line, but but then Mickle, I think if I remember right, he did switch backside three into switch backside five into switch backside seven or something like that, and and fell on the seven. But you scored him higher, so this is this was the rationale behind that that you're explaining here. Yeah, exactly. And um, you, by the way, your memory's amazing. I, I need my notes. We make extensive notes for all this stuff, but we watch so many runs. I swear, my brain just kind of purges a lot of this stuff. Well, afterwards. I mean, I'm, but I'm looking at it more from the like, let's just talk about the cool snowboarding. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like, whereas you're looking at it from. I mean, fuck me if I was doing what you're doing, <laughs> I'd want notes. You know what I mean? Because. Because yeah, you got to be. The, I can I can make a mistake and I'll just get a little bit of shit online. But if you you know for you it's way more consequential, isn't it? So oh I, yeah, I get that. Yeah, and I mean that's what one of, that's what made the day one one of the hardest judging moments for us was, you know, like I judged the Olympics. Yeah, I was a little stressed before I got there, but when I got there, it was just another snowboarding event. Sure. It was just another snowboarding contest, and one of the reasons. But here. You know, at, at the Olympics, 99% of the people watching it don't know a, 
damn thing about snowboarding. Yeah. They're just they're just into it. Yeah. He did a backflip. Yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah, he wins. I don't know why he didn't win, but I don't care. Yeah. Here, this is this is core. This is this is our community. This is a discerning audience. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean taking heat from people that I respect so greatly is yeah. really tough. Yeah. So So you've obviously been paying attention to that then. Oh, a little bit here yeah. and there. Yeah. So how and how do you how do you respond to that then? Because there has been criticisms. We should we should address it. Sure. You know, like there's, I think the two main things that people have spoken about at this event are the NFTs and and the judging. And I think it was the same last year as well. I it's think, always the judging. Yeah, I think, I think last year, if I remember rightly, it was the kind of Mark Mickle one, wasn't it, that people were most exercised about. Like, couldn't didn't seem to understand why Mark had gone ahead of Mickle. Oh, uh, no, it was Pat and Mickle. Was it? Was it Pat? But yeah. I think for me, yeah, right. Actually, Tom mentioned correcting me on that the other day as well. But like, I think that was the variety of line thing, right? I think I think because because when I watched the event last year, and I watched it on the broadcast, obviously, I was actually really surprised that variety variety of line. I'm just going to call it for argument's sake, wasn't part of the criteria because it became apparent that it wasn't because you know a lot of the riders treated it like slope style didn't they essentially they found a line they found a run yeah they they increased the difficulty once they got it dialed in but essentially they were doing that but then someone like mickle for example didn't do that like he just did a different line and a bit like arthur did this this time around as well and danny as well i think probably had that approach a little bit more this year and i think it was one of the things that people i mean i certainly when i watched last year's broadcast i was a bit like wow i don't really get that like and that was why the first thing i did when i saw you was ash was ash you know like what what was going on there yeah um and i think that's been the main talking point this year as well really um and people and like you say basically you don't have a criteria for it do you yeah and i mean we we sat there we talked with riders and um that may be a criteria that we do add at some point, but one of the things that we actually like to see was the progression, the the building blocks of a run. And one of the things you saw it here was guys might start their first run with a three yeah, and then build to a five or build to a seven or build to a nine. And I think that's really difficult to do if you're penalizing somebody for hitting the same feature. Sure. Well, again, it, yeah. And it makes sense because, you can't well i think the challenge might be how do you accommodate both right how how can you equally reward both approaches and and we're always evolving like yeah. we really want we re, we don't want this event to ever become stagnant i don't want anybody to ever say well the judging is just the same again because i think that we do need to evolve with the sport as well and if the riders are saying you know what maybe we should be rewarding for a variety with between runs yeah then that's something that we'll definitely have to look at and is there is there a facility for that for for this rider interaction and to kind of improve the judging not improve you know what i mean evolve that's a better word yeah oh i well i mean like i'm on a whatsapp group with all the riders and liam and cersei and all the people that run this event i challenge you to go to any other event in the world and you have the event director the COO, the CEO, you have all of these people on a WhatsApp group with a direct line. Yeah. It doesn't happen. This is the most rider focused event I've ever been at. Other events, we have advocates for riders, but I don't think we've ever had rider input on this level anywhere. I thought that rider meeting was real evidence of that because essentially there was a lot of people in the room and it was like there wasn't like there was a there was a couple of leading voices in with the riders, which I actually found really interesting. I think um, Rasman and Robin were probably the two that ended up almost becoming the spokespeople for the for the riders, um, and really articulately kind of expressed the, you know, the the talking points that the riders had. But essentially, you know, it was all just thrashed out over a couple of hours, wasn't it? You know, yeah. you you guys, riders, Liam, Travis, Cersei, like everyone, just like let's thrash this out. And the, and the other thing that I found interesting was the fact that the more the riders realized they could ask you guys questions, they did, didn't they? You know, yeah. they were like, oh, okay. So, cause Blake, I think Blake was like, so what, you, you know, he had a couple of really specific points, didn't he? He was like, you know, well, what, what about this scenario? What about this scenario? You know, and you could see, I thought like that, that, that how that influenced the riding the next day as people kind of adjusted to it. But you're saying that that's not a common feature then. You don't, you're not getting that at the Olympics then. Well, we do have we do have rider meetings at at bigger events. Um, 
unfortunately, at the, the larger events, there's a lot more voices involved and there's a lot more lobbying involved. You, you can tell people are making arguments to swing some to swing us one way or the other. As in like towards a particular type of snowboarding, essentially. Kind of, yeah. Some of this, like, especially at a big air, you know, guys will come up to you and say, oh, yeah, you know, switch backside is crushing it right now. Right. You know, and just you realize it's like, oh, yeah, your guy's doing switch backside. So yeah. that's the kind of the... So it, I always look at one of the jobs that we have as judges, especially with feedback, is to distill this this huge pot of voices that we've got down to these nuggets of truth. Yeah. So it's almost listening to everybody s- s- say what they're saying and then go, oh, you're all saying this one thing. Yeah. And getting just getting rid of all the other noise, basically. Yeah. But here's a little bit different because, I mean, I had to chat with Chris afterwards and like that guy has never competed before. So, I mean, he had, he had questions about how or, and why he got scored. And it was, it was just evident that he just had never competed before. He didn't understand how to fulfill the criteria. Right. And that kind of bummed me out a little bit because it's like, I don't ever want these riders to get to a point where they're riding for us. Sure. I want them to be riding for them, you know? Yeah. Well, that's this, this, we're almost talking about how this it's going to end up with a sweet spot isn't it you know like with this continued the more events that happen in the, in more variable conditions the more conversations that happen with the riders it will evolve and, and it, presumably the goal is to end up with a yeah like an, a sweet spot of understanding where it's like okay well we all get this and we all get what, what how the conditions are dictating this and yeah exactly so can i ask you a couple of like direct kind of questions just as as a, as a fan like, sure, um, I might not answer them, but you can ask them. So Longo, Longo's transfer, probably the most talked about thing of this event, really. Absolutely. Yeah. So how do you, how do you look at that as a judge? Well, we love snowboarding. I mean, the two other judges, I mean, Chad Otterstrom, I mean, yeah. needs no introduction. Yeah. Legend. And nobody knows, uh, like, we're a bit behind the scenes, so nobody knows a lot about Connor Manning, but that dude has been on a snowboard longer than any human being I've ever met. And I mean, he judges the X games. He's, he is the most solid judge ever. We all love the sport. Yeah. Like seeing Archer do that gap was amazing for us. Like I, sometimes I, I'm glad the judge stands not mic'd, but sometimes I wish it was, (laughs) you know, because we are excited. We're fans and, one of the things that I always say is, you know, people go into events with the fans like, oh, I'm a fan of Danny or I'm a fan of Artur. I'm a fan of Travis. We don't have we're not like that. We're fans of everybody. We we're we're as elated as everybody when people win and we're as gutted when people fall. Yeah. But I mean, like Artur's transfer, that's snowboarding for us. That was amazing. But we also have to evaluate what he did above it and what he did below it, which sucks sometimes because you want you you want that thing to happen again almost yeah so how did you evaluate it in that context then oh it, i mean it was one of the best tricks of the of the week hands down yeah and I, I like i said to liam afterwards i'm like we need we need to be able to like we need to figure out how we can just like give a small trophy just for that thing yeah you know those 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 moments that are just that define snowboarding because that's what really and again, this is the this is the balancing that this event has to the tightrope this event has to walk, isn't it? Because you need you do need to find find because that's what this event is about, isn't it? That that kind of interpretation of snowboarding, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and we'd never want that to change. The thing I love about this event is every rider has a different approach. Every rider has a different style. It's not slope style. Like slope style right now has become very like in a box defined and you know there's there's outliers within it there's guys that are that are leading the way there's guys that look different but it's it's the majority people all fit into this little tight little cube yeah here it's all over the board you you read down the list and you look at the, the the body of work that these people have done and they're all very very different and that is what is so cool about this and what makes our job really really hard yeah yeah how you judge the variety of styles which again is something we talked about a lot in the booth i mean you know look at kb and sage for example i mean yeah 
it's a pretty different approach isn't it to, yeah to snowboarding um how about danny because i think a lot of people thought danny should have scored more highly on his on his last run where he did the, the double the double grab air like i mean we all love watching danny ride yeah that, that, like danny is you know he's that guy when you know you wake up from a dream snowboard and you're like oh, i wish i could ride like that guy yeah you know and it's just one of those moments where we have to evaluate it against what we saw before, you know, and, it, and when one of our, one of our criteria is the layup, it's like the, the bottom half of his run was very surfy and mellow and yeah. some features skipped and, and things like that. And we had to look at it. And the one thing that people don't look at a lot too, is the scores that we put out say a lot, Yeah, you know? Yeah. We wanted we wanted to we wanted to show that it wasn't it wasn't like a blowout yeah you know that it was very close but ultimately we have to make these decisions yeah so um i won't do too many of these i, I kind of need to do it though because i just feel like i'll get so much shit if i don't you know i've got this opportunity to kind of ask ask you about this uh mick or blake then so you know what we we kind of covered it it, but it, but it, was, cover it, it was that basically it was the fact that in the in the criteria his technically more difficult run with um like an instability a, a, an instability like yeah. like he ate yeah he slammed like was considered to just be a higher value than blake's kind of more more better executed run but with a lower trick difficulty but yeah so. well we have to look at how the runs fulfill the criteria right yeah when you're looking at trick difficulty in both or trick difficulty, line difficulty, the amplitude and amplitude is just not how big you go, but it's also the size of the features. Yeah. You know, the variety and the execution. Just if, if you look at the way those two fulfilled the criteria, Mikkel edged out Blake just by a little bit. And again, the score showed it. It was just by a little bit. We, yeah. We don't come by these, like there's no algorithm in our brain that just, Produces like oh 72 yeah like, well that's we, why it's so fascinating yeah because you know? like like i said and it's probably like really simplistic earlier i think there's an assumption that you do have that no <laughs> that algorithm absolutely not i, I think there's there, there's an assumption that like there's there's a an infallibility you know and i think what's so interesting about this event is that because there's so many different styles of snowboarding represented and also a point you made to me the other night is like these guys have got real fans as well oh yeah you know so like there's there's a bit of taking it personally in a way when people go out you know like the you know like kb goes out like people people are good because they want to see people like that progress so i think there's a little bit of that going on as well but i i think it's so interesting to talk about this and for people to understand like what your guys thought process is because oh, yeah. i think people will be probably it will illuminate it a bit for people. Um, so we should talk about the, the women's event because it was obviously very challenging for the Absolutely. women. Yeah. So what, what challenges did that pose for you guys as judges, particularly on day one? Well, I mean, first of all, we, we come in with, to an event with a preconceived notion of what we saw last year. Because we can't watch practice, we were like, well, last year is going to be our benchmark. Um, it became immediately apparent that the women were struggling with the conditions. And for me, I was actually blown away by how well the women did. Yeah, me on too. That course. Me too. And I think I saw a lot of pretty fucking shitty comments, to be honest. And I just was a bit like, you you don't actually really understand what's going on here, to no. be honest. If you're, if you're like... If you're saying something is like fucking stupid as, as you know, like the, the women shouldn't be here or whatever, like, it, like I'm a bit like, you, you kind of don't really get what's going on. You oh, know? you don't know anything about the sport and yeah. you should go do something else. Yeah, I kind of agree. I was just a bit like, that's not even an opinion worth listening to in this context because there's there's much more going on here than, than that. Really. Those women are superheroes. Yeah. And like they... <laughs> What the internet doesn't seem to understand is that women's snowboarding is a different beast. There's physics involved. You know, Mikkel can blast through a half inch of sun crust. He weighs 200 pounds and can ride a 172. Elena 
I wouldn't even hazard a guess as how much she weighs, but it's not very much. Yeah. You know, and and when you're skipping through Suncrust and breaking through in places, the fact that those women were could do what they did was like awe-inspiring for us. We loved it. And it was an amazing show. And I don't I don't care what the rest of the world has to say those women are superheroes. Yeah. For me, I think one of the the great storylines of this was Marion. Like seeing seeing how Marion came back having ridden last year and obviously has gone away and, and kind of the the impact it's had on her riding and hence the progression of women snowboarding is oh. is brilliant. And and that was one of the I think that's gonna be one of my takeaways from this trip. And again, I've said this a lot in commentary in, in these podcasts it's a bit of a cliche at this point but I think the the extent to which this is going to influence the progression of the sport in a healthy way is is only re- I'm only just really beginning to realize and I think the women's is a is a brilliant example of that and I was talking to Hannah yesterday and she was saying like this has definitely changed the way I approach my career because basically I've got a I've got to recalibrate everything. You know, if I'm going to come back here next year and perform, especially after this year, there's a change. And that is just going to raise the bar so quickly. Oh, absolutely. And I I see those eight women that that dropped in being an inspiration for a whole generation of women who are like, I don't like riding half pipe or I don't want to hit a 110 foot park jump. I just want to ride pow and do stylish tricks. And I hope that we start seeing more women involved within that field so we can actually have an equi- like equitable field. Yeah. I'd love to see 16 women in the exact same way, you know, like we just need more we need more women participating that way and I think that these women are the ones that are doing it right now will be a catalyst for change for sure. Yeah. Well, they're going to be, well, they are trailblazers, aren't they? Oh yeah. I mean, clearly. 100%. So moving on to, um, BC and Alaska. Ooh. Um, are you already thinking about how learnings from this event might change your approach there? Well, I mean, our approach, our, our, our approach with the core isn't going to change, but how we evaluate them may, I mean, uh, Looking at the forecast, I'm Canadian, by the way, so I, I, I follow Canadian snow forecasts. Um, it's looking like it's going to be really good, right? Up in bald face. So, what will neck deep, pow landings do for this whole thing? So it might not be that. While here we were having issues with things like speed control, and we we could gloss over some instabilities that were involved with the speed control and some on landings that may not be the case yeah you know like perfect takeoffs and perfect landings would dictate hopefully perfect snowboarding yeah so the the approach i don't think is going to be any different but evaluating how we do we have how we look at it is definitely going to be the the harder thing for us okay and what about alaska because you made the point that i might be paraphrasing but um it sounded like you were saying something like well the freestyle components of those of those runs is almost like a bit of a, a bonus in a way. I, I'm, well, I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but yeah, kind of. But uh, yeah, like I mean, I think the biggest trick we saw in Alaska, I think Mark did a seven, and uh, like Mickle did a five. Yeah, to that win. was that was mental. I, shocking. Yeah, like absolutely shocking. And so, when you dial back the trick difficulty you have to evaluate the other criteria. Yeah. You know, because no, if everybody's doing a similar difficulty, it's almost like that's kind of like, oh, okay. We don't, that criteria, it's been fulfilled. Now yeah. let's look at the other the other stuff. So. Yeah, it's going to be, again, just on this point of progression, it's going to be pretty fascinating. I oh, think. yeah. I yeah. can't, I, Alaska is, it was my first experience out there last year and it, uh, it was awe-inspiring and humbling both at the same time. I've never been in such a big, big place before. You got a few runs? I got a couple of runs. In How there. was it? Uh, bucket list. <laughs> Absolutely like top 10. Yeah. I got to ride the semifinals venue down a couple of the spines and just that was 
for me, it was actually proof of concept because I've been watching these snowboard films my entire life. And yeah, these right. guys go to Alaska and, yeah. and be going, yeah, yeah, I could do that. And I, I proved to myself that I'm not doing it as fast as anybody anymore, but I yeah. can still do it. Yeah, so. yeah. So let's talk a bit more about, you mentioned about your, you know, your background with Liam and like how you got into it, but how, how did you get into this game? Like, cause you've been doing it a long time, right? Yeah. So. Well, I, uh, I went, moved into the mountains in about 96, uh, and I thought I'd spend a season snowboarding before I got a real job. Yeah. Common that, story. Yeah. Common story. <laughs> and it, uh, turned out I was pretty good at it. I was the, uh, I won Canadian nationals in 96 or 97 for slope style. Right. And I was doing really well in half pipe. So I got named to the Canadian national half pipe team. Um, I rode a world cup tour or earned Canada spot for Nagano for yeah. pipe, but I got, uh, I dislocated my shoulder pretty badly before our qualifiers and had some surgery. So I couldn't go. And at that point, um, there was a guy named, uh, Greg Johnson who was running, basically wrote all these criteria back in the day. He yeah. Was like I, the know, I knew Greg. Yeah. Yeah. He's my mentor. Right. He, uh, pulled me aside and he says, Hey, well, you're healing up. Maybe you should start judging. Like we need more people who, kind of know a little bit about what's going on here. And right. I just started judging and I realized that I could still hang out with all my friends. I didn't have to go upside down anymore. <laughs> and, um, I even made a little bit of money doing it. Right. So that it just kind of progressed from there. And I mean, the, the best thing that ever happened to me was I, uh, I lost my desk job right. 14 years ago and I just texted, uh, Greg again and said, Hey, you know, lost my job. So I'm available. Let, right. me, let me know. And he's like, oh, you should go to New Zealand. We've got a New Zealand open and an Australian open. And yeah, we need somebody good down there. So yeah. he sent me down. And that's kind of when I started hanging out with Liam. And it just all kind of blew up from there. So how what, what's that life like? I mean, you how, often, how long are you on the road? Uh, well, up until this, well, actually until the lockdown, I was traveling. I was doing about 10 events a season right and what were they oh i would uh like i did, i'm an equal op uh like an equal opportunity judge uh, i'll do fist world cups at that point i was head judging ttr um unfortunately greg passed away a couple uh about four years ago now yeah. and uh he tapped me on uh tapped me in for the um to be the competition director for the u.s open yeah so i was doing that um doing a lot of stuff up in canada and just you know, the usual stuff. Yeah. I basically judged everything but the X Games. Right. Um, do you have a view on the FIS, um, you know, snowboarding conversation? Let's put yeah. it that way. I mean, I believe there's there's space for that kind of, uh, for, for FIS and for endemic and for natural selection. Um, I know the people that are running the FIS snowboarding side of things and those dudes are down. Yeah. They are absolutely down for the cause. But I mean, that's a big ship to steer. You know, when you've got lots of rules and you're answering donations and stuff like that, it's really tough to get anything to, to, to not to get anything, but to get things to progress through the system. It's really tough. Like, I mean, over the, over the years I've, I, the, the world cup courses used to suck. And now I see them that they're world-class. They're getting builders like Charles Beckinsale to build, World Cup courses. I mean, the locks course this year is always good, but it's it's amazing. So, I, I believe there's I believe there's space in our community for it. I just as long as the people that are steering that ship yeah. are still down for the cause, yeah, I've got faith that it'll that it'll work itself out. And what's your you know you must have a unique view on progression, another like perennial conversation in snowboarding like i had an interesting conversation with danny davis on the podcast of the week actually where we were talking about you know the classic argument about spin to win like gymnastics like style being you know, you know the argument yeah, I don't yeah, need yeah, to, yeah. Sure. so what's your take on that well i mean first off i'm 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 actually kind of bummed that that judging has actually kind of set a tone for the progression because the the n plus one rotations, because it makes tricks more difficult, we've always had to reward them that way. Yeah, you know, 
And because of that, everybody's like, oh, if I just keep adding a rotation to it, that's progression. Yeah. So it's almost like the, the cart leading the horse. Yeah. I mean, it's a massive bummer for us, but right. it's, I kind of look at it slightly differently. Like, um, progression has kind of got a weird sawtooth look to it. If you look at it over the years where we kind of, it snowboarding pro- progresses really quite quickly right before the Olympics guys are learning tricks like crazy because they want to, they want to win the Olympics and then it kind of flattens off for a little bit and then it builds again and it kind of does that. And I always like the years after the Olympics because these kids that are learning these ludicrously difficult tricks are starting to do them, you know, one, two, three, 400 times and they're starting to own them. And so I find that, that those middle years is when you start to get the kids coming out and like, making this stuff look cool yeah it's like you can't make a trick look cool if you've only ever done it three times yeah but you can make it look cool when you've done it 400 times and that's that's where i really like the snowboarding those are those are my years where i'm like yeah that's rad that's where i like that's where the good stuff happens this n plus one thing that you mentioned then yeah which is really interesting that's a liamism by the way yeah (laughs) sounds like a liamism um I like it though. Yeah, no, and it, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Because it is, the, I, I totally get where that's coming from. Are you trying to mitigate that though? Like, because you just made this point that you feel like the judging has almost inadvertently led progression because of that criteria, essentially. And as a snowboarder and as somebody who's obviously like super passionate about it, dedicated your life to it, you, you recognize the fact that that's potentially problematic, you know? Oh yeah. So are you trying to mitigate that in the judging? Is that a conversation that you're all having? Like what, what can be done about that? Cause it, cause it is a, it is a perennial thing, isn't it? Like I'll, I'll bring it back to the conversation I had with Danny, you know, like it's, he was basically saying that that has dictated his approach to snowboarding as, as an individual, which is a good thing in his case, because obviously he's taken it in a really interesting direction, but you get my point. Like, so what, what can be done about that? Well, and that's, We've struggled with that for years. Yeah, you know, well, like, I mean, everyone talks. It's constant conversation. Yeah, we, we read about. We read the com- come on. We read the comments. Yeah, of we course. we get it. Like when guys are like, "Oh, you know, I just want to see a switchback one. Yeah, that would be so sick." I I mean, hell, I want to no- see a switchback. What one. snowboarding needs is more side hits euphoria. <laughs> yeah, it's like I want to see a sw- I wanna, another big cliche. Yeah, uh, may I say? Yeah, I, I want to see a backside one eighty off a big air jump. But if I, as a judge, gave that a win over a guy doing a back triple fourteen. They'd lynch us. Yeah. We'd never get hired again. So it's it's getting the snowboarding community to come to a consensus. Like, I mean, there's there's moments where we can say that's what we want to see. Like Danny in the pipe for a, for a lot of years wasn't doing tricks as technically difficult as other people, but he was doing it with a very unique approach. He was doing the switch method and 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 that kind of stuff. And we could reward that. But the weirdest thing about our sport is, well, I mean, Torger's, uh, what is it, Cab 5 method, or uh, Cab 5 method. If you were, if you really nerded out at the Olympics, that trick beat back double tens and even a, ba- uh, even a 12. That trick, a 540, beat that. And we were saying something at that point. Yeah. The judges were saying, that's what we want to see. But the problem with the progression of the sport is, when Torga was the only one doing it, yeah, it was rad. Yeah, now that everybody can do it, that trick doesn't hold the same weight. Yeah, so I I don't know what we can do about the N plus one thing other than I, I I always like to say when when these riders come up to me and they're saying, oh, what can I what can I do better? What can I do better? I'm like, own your trick, make it yours. Yeah, make your style yours, and all of a sudden, the judges can look at that and go, oh, you know, that might be. technically less difficult but we can still reward for it because it's unique because it's you taylor gold is a prime example of that he is killing it right now with a run that is arguably less difficult than say someone what the japanese are doing but he's doing it in such a unique way it fulfills the criteria so he the judges can reward for that sure okay that's really interesting i guess that's what sage's gold stood for as well in 100 percent. yeah that 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 was that was why people responded so in such a way to that i think wasn't it because it because it it fulfilled the role that you're kind of talking about it's almost like the perfect bridge wasn't it between 
the two areas that we're discussing. Another point I'd like to put to you is so obviously Leslie McCann is a mutual friend of both of us and she she made an interesting point to me in a blog that she wrote last year. She basically said that she thinks there's a lot of snobbery about the progression against the progression that's taking place in I'm just going to call it the fist side of the sport. Yeah. Um and that she kind of felt like that goes against something inherent about snowboarding, you know like the idea that because it's quite a nuanced point really that you don't hear very often but she was basically saying that like that's as valid as a form of progression as this event whether you like it or not it is huh, you know yeah. like and the the fact that certain areas of the scene look down upon that and make the arguments about we want to see the back wall we want to see that is is actually damaging to snowboarding and we should be we should be healthy enough to accept both side both forms of progression as being snowboarding which it sounds some, like perhaps something that you, you might agree with given the oh, way that... a thousand percent. I mean, our community, if we were all thinking the exact same way, we'd be boring. Yeah. You know, it's like saying, do you like music? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. there's different genres People of People actually say no to that, by the way. Well, I know Which that's is weird. fucking weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it, it, I look at it the same way. Like, you know, there's, there's room within our community for all of this stuff. I love watching... I'm a, I'm passionate about all forms of snowboarding. Yeah. There's some stuff that I like watching more than others, but there's room for it. I'm not going to look down on somebody for doing the, for, for doing the slope, the slope style route or the, the half pipe route. Like Scotty James is a prime example. Like that dude is a, is pure athleticism, you know, and that's rad. And, and nobody should be able to talk down on him versus, you know, a rail kid from Minnesota, like our community should have a bigger, a broader view of it. And I mean, like, yeah, some of us won't like, you're going to have an opinion. I'd rather see a backside 180, not me personally, but you know, the guys will have that and there should be room within it, but nobody should be talking shit on what anybody else is doing. I, I mean, I watched Jess Kamira's movie this year, the uninvited, and I saw a group of women having way more fun in snowboarding than I think I've ever seen in a snowboard film. And that like that that was elating to me. Yeah. And to see some of the shit comments about, well, they're not good as they're not as good as the guys. It's like fuck you. Yeah. Like, go away. You, yeah. We don't need you here. No, that's kind of what that's kind of what I think as well. I just it's just a bit of it's just an old school attitude that's that's increasingly out of date, I think, really. And doesn't like you say, the snow, whether you like it or not, snowboarding is this and it is the Olympics now. Yeah. And, you know, this is doing great service to progression as we've discussed in, in a certain direction. Oh, yeah. It's, and it's, it is all snowboarding, really. Yeah. And also, you know, everyone always makes the argument about Arthur, like Longo, but he went to the fucking Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, every like, if you only do one thing in your life, for your entire life is I, don't, I, I can't understand how people do that. Like, I mean, to me, it should be, there should be a progression within your life. Yeah. If you don't graduate from the park to the, to, to back country to, or from pipe to, I mean, Jared, Jared Elston is a prime example. That kid was a half pipe rider. Yeah. i the first time I saw him, he was a half pipe rider. Look at him now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's a great, summary yeah. really don't be an old man sitting in a chair on the on on the lawn yeah it was better rocks at kids it was know? better better in my it was day better my day yeah. backside 180 it's never a good look is it yeah. <laughs> um all right final question this has been brilliant by the way thank you so much oh no problem um what's your predictions i'm gonna leave it at that like just with your viewpoint you know like where do you see you've got a unique view of the arc of snowboarding and progression and you know in, in your sitting in the chair you occupy here yeah. what, what what do you see the future do you see it as positive oh i love i love our community because every time i think that there is a dark moment in it we rally yeah and i think travis rallied pretty hardcore to get this thing going in a spot where i i mean i retired from slope style judging because i i didn't feel relevant in it anymore it, it wasn't it wasn't the thing that I wanted to do. And then I see, and then Travis does this, you know, and I think that we're going to keep our community solid as long as we 
get away from this whole, well, that sucks and this sucks sort of thing. You know, everybody's got their opinion, but I mean, look at how long we've survived so far. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's the coolest shit. I think we're in, I think we're in a great moment right now. Amen, brother. So there you go. That was me and Sandy and I hope you enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I mean, super revealing, eh? I'm sure that people out there um, might not agree with a lot of the explanations that Sandy came out with there. Certainly, I do still find it a little weird about the whole variety um, of line and inline thing. You know, from my point of view, it's just a completely subjective opinion, but I just would assume that um, multiple lines would be rewarded over a slope style approach. But, you know, that's it's been explained that there's no criteria for that. So, so whether that changes in the future will be a really interesting thing. Thank you to Sandy for being such a good sport and thank you to the Natural Selection guys for kind of like, you know, letting me ask these questions because I think it's important. Um, coming up next in the omnibus, well, I grabbed the boss himself, Travis Rice, for the now traditional post-event debrief um, in which I got his thoughts on how this year's event went down and also all things NFT which, to be honest, has been another pretty controversial part of natural selection, which you will see if you look underneath, well, in the comment section of any of the posts that have been on the natural selection Instagram about NFTs. Um, so, yeah, I kind of followed the same approach, really. I've, I've I sat down with Travis. I've literally just finished recording that, actually, as I'm recording this. Um, and I kind of threw a lot of the criticisms at him about the whole thing. Um, and it was really, really revealing and interesting. Um, and as you might expect with Travis... He's thought about this quite carefully and he's got a lot of views on it. So that'll be coming out in the next day or two. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, you can find my entire back catalogue over at my website, www.wearelookingsideways.com. You'll find over 175 conversations with some of the most interesting personalities in skateboarding, snowboarding and surfing. While at the website, you can also sign up to my blog and newsletter, which in itself has many thousands of subscribers every week, every fortnight, sorry, that's every two weeks for my American friends. I send out the 10 things I think are worth sharing from the world of action sports. Every other fortnight or every other two weeks, I send out a blog by me or one of my guests. It always seems to go down quite well. You can also follow me on social media. I'm at We Look Sideways on Instagram. And you can, uh, yeah, interact with me um, on Twitter, although I don't really use that. Um, I love getting the messages podcast at wearelookingsideways.com if email is your jam alright I'm going to go as you can probably tell I'm quite frazzled it's been a long 10 days um, and the end is in sight no housekeeping corner this time around because like I said at the beginning I've got a lot of episodes dropping over the next few days so until then thanks for listening nice one